I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. To begin, I want to thank your rector, Matthew, for his organizational skills, for his great communication, for his hospitality, for, and for your welcome. Thank you, Matthew. And also his wife, Alice, who served us an absolutely lovely meal last night and has been providing hospitality today. And I want to thank Bill's family. I want to thank you for this very wonderful invitation to be a part of this celebration of, of Bill's life. Um, it's been a joy to be with you and to be welcomed back by the parish family here at Calvary. It's an honor. You know, I think Bill Strain was a very brave man. And today I'm going to talk about Bill a little bit and the, and the gospel text. And I, I think that Bill Strain was a very brave man. Can you imagine having Bob Morris, John Smiley, Howard Vogel, Lee Nordholm, all on your staff, occupying the same space, working together, no doubt we were a peculiar conglomeration of personalities and none of us particularly shy. Further, Calvary Summit was and likely still is a community that had a lot of chiefs who liked to run the show. <laughs> and in the midst of it, Bill was able to maintain a centered, self-assured, confident presence. As I had an opportunity to reflect on my time here at Calvary, serving with Bill, I must admit I'm even more astounded at Bill's strength. I came on board soon after Bill's wife, Nancy, had died, an untimely and early death. After Nancy's death, his associate priest at the time moved on to another position, and I was wandering around the diocese as an itinerant singer-priest and around the country, and Bill invited me to come and join him. I had served previously in Hope, New Jersey, and had a rather unsettling experience and wasn't sure I would ever come back into the church, but Bill invited me back. Bill asked me to come on board and come and serve at my home congregation, place where I grew up, because I did attend here regularly on Christmas. <laughs> you know, it was an extraordinary privilege, and I remain grateful to Bill that Bill had enough confidence in me, even though he knew me in my youth, to allow me to serve at the altar with him. And I must admit, there were awkward times back then when I administered communion to mothers of girls I used to date. <laughs> Risky business on Bill's part to hire me back then. You know, reflecting on Bill's strength and courage, I am even all the more amazed because I also came to know the heart-aching grief that he must have felt at that time in his life having lost my first wife when she died at age 45. And yet Bill pressed on, putting one foot in front of the other, 
caring for this community and beyond. I witnessed Bill's self-assurance because he fearlessly gathered talented people around him, folks who were creative and opinionated, and in the midst of all that, he never appeared to be threatened. What a gift. To be able to function as well as Bill did in the midst of the loss of his wife and the challenges of his staff and of this congregation is a testimony to one who clearly was centered on the rock of our faith, on our Lord Jesus Christ. I think the road to Emmaus, the gospel lesson we heard today, is a wonderful lesson for this service of dedication. Though, though Bill didn't appear disoriented after Nancy's death, I'm sure that like the disciples who we heard about wandering away from Jerusalem, disciples whose lives had been shaken, whose way had been lost, disciples who may have felt their hearts broken and likely were weighed down by a spirit of heaviness, disciples whose dreams and hopes and plans for the future were now crushed, Disciples leaving Jerusalem, heading to Emmaus, perhaps believing they would never return. Disciples in need of someone, something to break into their consciousness and bring them back to hope and back to life. I imagine Bill felt like those disciples back then. And my hunch is, Every one of us here at times feel like those disciples when we experience the death of a loved one. Lost, alone, wounded, aimless, grieving, hopeless, and more. Though the disciples on the road to Emmaus had each other as they walked along, and it is a good thing in times of grief, to be with others. It's important that we don't isolate ourselves. It's important we find others to share our sorrows with. It's not good to be alone in our grief, and yet I suspect at some level, both of those disciples on the road to Emmaus did feel very alone, even as they traveled together. Alone in their weariness, alone in their loss of purpose, alone in the pain they felt, alone in the hope lost, and even though they walked together, they likely still felt very alone. I imagine they may have been working through their feelings, at times talking, at times walking in silence. And then a stranger comes and interrupts their journey. And we can feel their annoyance. We can hear their frustration. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? They ask. And Jesus says, what things? Seriously, Jesus? My goodness. The Lord does have a way of leading us on. And then as they, as those disoriented disciples walk along, the stranger begins to interpret the scriptures to them. And though they are not aware that 
of who he is, they're beginning to understand something of all that occurred in these last few days as they listen to him. Something comes back to life. Something in the stranger's words begin to stir up a bit of light, a bit of hope, a bit of consciousness that's not focus simply on themselves and their own grief, but rather on something more, on something outside of themselves. Enough is stirred up in them that they don't want him to leave when he continues on the way as they turn towards a place of rest. And thanks be to God, these disciples are wise enough to ask him to stay, to come with them. They invite him in. They invite him to join them. And that's just what we need to do today and every day in times of hope and in times of grief. Thankfully, they were aware enough of their own inner workings that they realized they didn't want him to leave and pray that we also may be attuned to the spirit and our own need to invite the Comforter, God, to be with us. Jesus never forced himself on those wounded disciples. He simply walked with them and shared some of what he knew. God does not force himself on us, yet God is with us in good times and bad, in joyful times and in times of grief, in times of celebration and in times of deep sadness, in times when we are lost and in times when we are found, in times of war and in times of peace. And as St. Paul says, there is no height nor depth nor anything in all creation that exists that can separate us from God. For us to fully receive the gift of God's presence, a space needs to be made available where God can come in and join us. We need to invite him to stay with us. The disciples recognizing their own need and this fire that was beginning to burn in their hearts, the, the hope that they were beginning to experience, the spirit coming back alive within them, knowing all that, they ask the stranger to stay. And he does. Perhaps they stopped at an inn and gathered around a rough wooden table and as food was brought to the table, the stranger spoke those familiar words of blessing and he took the bread and he broke it and their eyes were opened and they knew it was Jesus. They knew there was hope for their future. They knew there was cause for rejoicing. They knew there was now purpose for their lives. They knew that they couldn't stay where they were. They knew they had to go back to Jerusalem. They knew they had to tell their story. They knew that life was good. They knew God was alive in Christ Jesus. They knew that the Lord had risen. And you know, I have a hunch that Bill also knew something of the risen Lord.
And I have a hunch he knew something of the risen Lord each time he was at this altar and broke the bread, the body of Christ. He knew something of the risen Lord each time he placed the body of Christ into your outstretched hands. I believe he knew God's grace in the company of friends who took he and his children into your hearts and lives. He knew all of this, this church, this life, this faith was a gift from God. And he knew God's grace in his marriage to Phyllis as he walked towards new life and new joys. Jesus breaks bread, and in this most simple gesture and familiar gesture, God's presence is known and will be known again this morning as his body touches yours, as you stretch out your hands to receive his sacramental presence. One of my favorite preachers, Herbert O'Driscoll, wrote, The road to Emmaus can be a familiar few miles or blocks that take us to public worship and Eucharist. The church we kneel in can become the inn. The altar before us, a small, rough, wooden table. The voice of the priest can become a voice of blessing. I give thanks for the voice, the faithful voice of Bill Strain. It sounded out in this place for many years as a voice of calm, a voice of confidence, a voice of challenge, a voice of reason, a voice of welcome, a voice of peace, a voice of joy and playfulness, a voice of faithfulness, and of course, a voice of blessing. Thanks be to God. Amen.